This is Taking Action Today with Michael Alder, episode 36. What's up, everybody? If you had 12 of the rawest real estate investors in one room to share their golden nuggets with you, what would you do? Well, that's what we're going to do today. I've compiled all the past 12 hottest real estate investors that we've had on the show, and we're going to pull out the golden nuggets that they've shared with us and compiled it into this episode. So get your pens out, take notes. This is going to be serious stuff from the top investors that we've been able to collaborate with. Let's dive right into this. So over at Ohio Cashflow, tell us a little bit about what you're offering over there. Well, look, what we do here is, is we buy rundown distressed properties, okay, in solid B-class areas. We fix them up to a great standard, and then we've got in-house property management that gets them tenanted, and then we pretty much look at working with investors, you know, investors that are located in very um, high-end high markets where there's not much cash flow, um, you know, and we pretty much hold their hand throughout the lifetime of the investment, and we assist them with building their portfolios. So, predominantly investors from the East Coast, the West Coast, UK, Canada, um, you know, Australia is another market where the properties are very expensive and there's not much cash flow. Um, and, you know, how we differentiate, mate, from every other company is I don't know any turnkey company in the country right now that says no to more investors than they say yes to. I mean, we have started to establish a reputation as turning down more investors than we take on. And the reason for that is, mate, look, we only focus on quality over quantity and we only want to work with the best of the best. And I consider this relationship to be as a marriage, right? We have to like each other because one or two properties is not going to give you financial freedom. If you want financial freedom, you have to build a portfolio of 10, 15, or 20 properties. And guess what? If you don't like me and I don't like you, it is <laughs> it's just not going to work. So first of all, we have to like each other. We have to trust each other. We have to respect each other. And if we're just not on the same page and our visions don't align and it's not a win-win scenario for all involved parties, it just won't work. And we do not want to compromise our company beliefs and, you know, work with individuals that, you know, we just don't feel are a right fit for us or we're a right fit for them. So how about that? That's amazing. You are one disciplined individual because it is hard to turn investors away. And I mean, you just laid out a beautiful plan there. I love it. And speaking with, you know, with you dealing with all these people, we got to talk about marketing here. And uh, if you don't mind, let's start with the marketing on the buy so we can tell the newbies a little bit about how to find these great deals. Well, mate, you want me to give away all of my secrets, I'm going to dig in until you tell me no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I mean, can you please check your pockets and tell me if you've got a deal there? No, I just decided, mate. Look, leave no stone unturned. That's what we do when it comes to marketing. I mean, connect with wholesalers, connect with bird dogs. I mean, talk to grandma at Walmart and ask her if she knows of anyone selling a deal. I mean, that's what it takes from yellow letters to stalking Craigslist daily. You know, tell, make your whole life evolve around finding real estate and finding that right deal. And I guarantee you will find it. So look, we just do a variety of things. And as I said, our, our, our main sources of finding real estate state would probably have to be those yellow letters and just checking Craigslist daily. Out of the 40 deals that we did last year, we probably bought around 30 of them off Craigslist. I mean, we post on Craigslist daily and we scour Craigslist daily. I mean, if you see our company office, we've painted our entire building blue and yellow and on the sides of each uh, wall, it says we really do buy houses, right? (laughs) Call us now. My car is branded. My shirt is branded. I mean, everything we do is branded with we really do buy buy houses. So, you know, as I said, live it, breathe it, love it, baby, make your whole life evolve around it and you will do well. 
Hey, you truly do live it. Now I'm going to switch it up for your exit strategy on the marketing. How are you finding these awesome investors on the back end? Well, mate, great question. Well, look, pretty much in a similar fashion to how we find the deals. It's Real estate is a numbers game. You have to commit to the numbers daily. You have to make phone calls. You have to send emails. You have to go to meetings, right? What we did last year, for example, is we did a ton of cold calls and a ton of cold emails until we established particular sales channels that opened up a ton of sales for us last year. Now, although that sales channel kind of died down and we've had a little bit of a slow start to this year, what we've done is we've just stayed true to ourselves and we did the little things consistently on a daily basis, right? I I love this saying, do the small things consistently and the big things will just fall into place. And that's what we did, mate. I mean, from doing daily videos to posting you know, on, on bigger pockets, for instance, which is a great platform for real estate investors, a great forum, you know, from doing the videos to posting on bigger pockets to sending out those emails and just building that reputation, building that report. And eventually, you know, as I said, you do the small things daily and you do them consistently and the big things just fall into place. I mean, we've got over 65 investors on our list right now and around 12 of them waiting for us to supply them with inventory. And that all came from those videos that we did the posts that we made, the emails that we sent, the newsletters that we commit to, do the small things daily, mate, and the doors will open. People will want to be a part of your bigger picture and vision. That's awesome. Consistent action daily and you'll get the results. That's it, mate. Now, if you would, for the listeners and the newbies out there that are ready to jump in and get in on this cash flow business, what are some simple action steps you could share with them so they can get started right now? Sure, mate. Look, if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. Um, You know, real estate is a numbers game. Commit to the numbers daily. If it's phone calls, do the phone calls. If it's emails, do the emails. Do not get discouraged. If you get knocked over, pick yourself back up and just keep moving forward. Okay. And you have to listen to this, guys, because this is the best advice you're ever going to get. I guarantee it. Forget about the stats and demographics of a particular area. Do not get sucked into the paper numbers. The paper numbers are BS, okay? You have to make sure that you establish trust and relationships with key people first that will always have your best interest at heart before you actually start looking at the numbers. I've got a ta- I've got a little saying, right? If you buy the best house in the best street with the best capital growth predictions, but your property manager is incompetent or a cheat, you're going to lose money because he's going to steal your rent. So it doesn't matter how good those paper numbers are. Surround yourself with the right people first before you actually start looking at the deals and the numbers, okay? It's the people that are going to make you money, not the actual numbers in the deals themselves. People, people, people. Trust, relationships. Four things to look for, guys. Don't forget this. Loyalty, honesty, no greed, and respect. You want to focus on those four things in every individual you're looking at working working with. You know, I was listening to a uh, interview you did with Justin Williams from House Flipping HQ, and I didn't realize how many houses you actually wholesale in a year. Yeah, now, I do quite a few. I've seen that. Now, I'm based in Cleveland, and you know the real players here, they're doing really well wholesaling, but there's a tremendous amount of people entering the game. They're being fed bad information from these you know, three-day seminars or whatever, hitting the market and just doing a horrible job of it, ruining the game. So I would love to squeeze you for a step-by-step wholesaling strategy for all the listeners out there so they can know how to find the house, how to lock it up on a contract, and then how to wholesale it, if you don't mind sharing. 
Absolutely. And I think what you're seeing with a lot of the new wholesalers coming in, I mean, it's a popular thing now, right? It's extremely popular again. It's cool again. I've been in this for 12 years. and I know you've been in this for a while too. Mm -hmm. There was a time where it was just like, you know, real estate was a four letter word. Like nobody wanted to do it anymore, but now everyone's (laughs) popping in. But unfortunately for wholesalers, they think it's just, people think it's just a quick and easy buck and it's a simple concept. But the tough thing is if you're just trying to go in there and you're not doing anything to find these motivated sellers, if you're just a guy that's looking for a wholesaler and you're going to try to wholesale a wholesale, that's a lot of what we're seeing, right? Somebody right. finding somebody's deal and they're seeing it on an email blast and then they re-blast the email or they find it on Craigslist and then they repost it on Craigslist. So that's why wholesalers get a lot of bad names. So here's what I would say. If somebody wants to be a wholesaler, recognize, although it's an easy concept, it's not easy to do because you've got to find motivated sellers. And if you're going to find motivated sellers... You need to be digging for them. You need to be doing things. You need to be taking action. I tell people this all the time. Um, if you find somebody that says they're a wholesaler, the first question is to ask me, that's great, you're a wholesaler. What are, how are you finding these properties? And then listen carefully. And if they're telling you things like door knocking, calling sellers, um, doing bandit signs, doing direct mail, internet advertising, keep those guys' name and number because they're legit wholesalers. And if they don't have a good answer for that, if they're actually not taking action, they're probably not legitimate wholesalers because wholesaling is deal finding. So make sure you're finding the person that's finding the deal or creating the deal direct from sellers, right? That's that's mm-hmm. my two bits on it. No, good call. So as far as finding deals for the new wholesalers out there, you just shared with us some of that. When they get a motivated seller to call them, what should their negotiation steps be? Oh my goodness, that's that's tough. There's, there's uh, I'm gonna so dig deep that. on you here. Yeah, it's fine. It's <laughs> simple concepts, right? You want to? Uh, here's the most simple way I can. Um, I like to ask people a lot of questions. These motivated sellers, I want to find out what's making them tick. So build rapport with them so that they'll open up to you and share with you their real problem. And once you find out what their real problem is, then you can solve it. Don't assume it's money. Don't assume that they're just looking for the top top dollar. It can be a lot of things. It could be time. It could be who's moving into the property. There's a lot of different things. So make sure you listen, listen, listen first, and then you'll hear their problem and then solve their problem by saying, look, if I can, if I can give you what you asked for right here, is there any reason you wouldn't sell me the house today like this? And they will, if you'll listen to the problem and find the real problem and give them a solution to that real problem. Nice. And then once you tie it up under the contract, yep. what is the best marketing strategy to bring in the buyers for the, these true buyers for these wholesalers? These, yeah, good question. It's kind of area specific. I mean, I've heard people, certain areas, you can put up bandit signs and say, you know, uh, fixer up or moldy house or whatever, and cash must sell quickly. Um, you can do that. Uh, or building a traditional buyer's list. And if you're doing that, I would go out and I would find those rehabbers. So you can go to the local real estate investment clubs are great places for this. You'll find the people who are the real players there or people that have done it before. Get their names and numbers. Find out who's actually buying properties. Go to title companies or closing attorneys, whoever, whatever your state is, and ask them, somebody that works with investors, and say, hey, who do you know that closes quickly for cash that fixes up properties or his properties? Or even even better tip, because that's to find flippers and things. But the best buyers I found are buy and hold investors, landlords, because they'll pay more than a fix and flipper. And mm-hmm. as a wholesaler, it's your obligation to not only get the price, get the property for the best price you possibly can, but to then sell it for the highest price you possibly can. And that's generally buy and hold investors, landlords. And where can we find the landlords at? What's your strategy on that? You know, you can uh, you can research county records and you can say who owns multiple properties. I mean. It depends on where you're at. Again, some title companies can research that for you. But if you find absentee owners and you see the same name, say find a list of absentee owners and sort it by by owner name. And if you find one company or an, an owner's name, you see Michael Alder showing up five times. That's probably a guy that you want to get to know. Nice. Um, and call him up and say, "Hey, I noticed you've got these five properties in this zip code. Um, I've got another one. Are you interested in purchasing it?" And the answer to that is generally yes. Right. Right. 
Yeah, just doing a little bit of research around there. And if you don't want to, you can find that stuff in county records, but also if you've had access to the MLS or you have a friend that has access to the MLS, look at properties that are sold around your zip code or around that the area where that property was. And you can find a real estate agent that was a selling agent or a buyer's agent that represented them and say, hey, the person that bought that property, or, you know, are they absentee owners or whatever, would they like to buy another one? I found uh, buyers that way too. That's cool. That's actually a new strategy that has not been brought across the table yet. So I appreciate you sharing that there. That's awesome. I thought, what if I could do this every single month? What if I could make enough money every month to take care of my family for an entire year? And then to take that to a whole nother level, I thought, what if I can create systems? You know, a lot of people say house flipping can't be a passive business, but I thought, why not? You know, I've read books like The E Myth and The Four Hour Work Week, and I knew that you could create a business, not just a job. And I got to work doing that. I thought, I can do this. Why can't I? Right. That belief that we talked about. So, so I did. And then that year, we ended up flipping 60 houses, which was uh, more than we had flipped the previous four years combined. So, and that, and that changed, changed everything, changed my life, literally. Uh, that's insane. So you move on to do 60 properties. You're financially free at this point. I, can you break it down how you manage all that and uh, just oversee it without losing your mind there with contractors and all the other fun stuff that comes with it? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so this could literally take you know days to explain every detail, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'll try to do, um, just kind of give you some you of the best Give us a crash course. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, first of all, you, you've got to spend most of your time on on acquiring properties, in my opinion. That's that's where 90% of your time and effort really needs to go into. But it does take a lot of time and effort to, to buy properties. I mean, I remember when I was doing it myself, I was analyzing, I would analyze tons of deals every single day and spend 60, 70 hours a week analyzing properties. So first off, if you are not spending a lot of time in your, in your business prospecting for deals or someone on your team isn't, you're not going to be successful. I mean, I have so many people come to me like, oh, I can't buy very many houses. How do you do it? And I'll say, how much time a week is you or your team putting into prospecting for deals? And they kind of skirt around the question and don't really want to answer it. I'm like, how many hours? How much time? How many man hours? And it's usually, oh, two, three hours. I'm like, that's why. <laughs> you know, you'll probably buy about a house a year with, with that amount of time. So You've got to figure out how to get more time into prospecting for deals. However, if you want to be a business owner and you want to enjoy your life, you know, be a lifestyle entrepreneur, you can't do it all yourself. You have got to get help. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. So that's the first thing I did. Well, one of the first things I did was I allowed and figured out a way to let other people do the legwork for me on the acquisitions. And so if, you know, if I have five people out there that are sifting through hundreds of properties for me, and then once they get them under contract based on my criteria, which I teach them in detail, then I can look at those houses and just say, okay, boom, they have it. It's like given to me on a silver platter and I can just approve it. Now I'm to the point where I don't even have to do that. My assistant approves them. But I'm, as you get started, right, mm-hmm. you need to know your criteria. You first need to understand deal analysis, how to evaluate properties. And then you need to let other people be out there doing the, the busy work for you, doing the legwork, have agents, wholesalers, bird dogs. Um, assistance, people working for you, whatever, you know, everyone's means are different. Everyone's situation is different, but that's what you need. One of the huge things you need to do. So that's, that's on the acquisitions. All right. Now then, you know, as far as the rehabs go, I do not look at any of my houses ever. Uh, Not that I haven't ever seen any of them, but I just don't look at it. I don't remember the last time I've looked at a property. 
So how do we go about managing these properties? I'll give you a few tips on, on the management side. First off, I personally use all, um, I don't use sub, I use general contractors, not subcontractors. My goal is to work with and talk to as few people as possible. We used to use subcontractors and it was a pain. You're working with like 10, 12 people per job. You're trying to coordinate with so many people. The less people you can work with, the easier life is going to be for you. I highly recommend using a general contractor. Not only do we use a general contractor, but we use one general contractor on several jobs. So they're managing several projects at a time. It allows us to only have to talk to one person instead of multiple people. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is we use a, um, a, a uh, not price, we use a price list, but the first thing we do is we use a materials list. So basically, I'm not out there at Home Depot every day trying to pick out paint and flooring and fixtures. Quite frankly, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about, I hate to say this, your listeners might get offended or sad. I don't really care that much about real estate. I don't care about houses. <laughs> real estate to me is a means to, um, I don't want to say a means to an end. It's, I consider myself much more of a business owner. I am in love with systems and it's a, like a game to me, right? Um, and, and the business that I have, the inventory, the product just happens to be houses. So to me, it's like a conveyor belt. Every single house we do, we use the same color paint. I should say 90%. There are the exceptions. We use the same color paint. We use the same kind of uh, flooring. We use the same kind of carpet. We do similar landscape. We use the same fixtures. We have the SKUs. Our contractors know exactly what fixtures we use, what toilets we're going to put in, what countertops we're going to use. The exact same stuff. So we don't... These are all things that take so much time and you've got to eliminate all this time waste. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we use a materials list. And the third thing we do which most, uh, I haven't heard anyone else who does this, is we use what's called a price list. So a price list, you know, many uh, years ago when I started doing higher volume, it was like we're spending all this time having contractors bid on these properties, would get several bids per property, then would negotiate with them, and then they would do change orders, and then there was price creep. So I said, okay, enough. <laughs> and I started to identify these patterns. Even though it took all this work, we started... Uh, we were paying about the same for each thing. And I was like, okay, we're paying roughly a dollar per square foot for paint. And this was, you know, a few years ago, we're paying a little bit more now, but I was like, we're paying a dollar per square foot for paint. We just don't look at it that way. You know, they could tell us what we're going to pay, but at the end of the day, that's what we're paying. And I noticed the same thing for laminate wood flooring, for tile, for carpet. Roughly, it was about the same based on how big the project was, how big the square foot footage was that they were covering in the house. So for example, if it was a 1500 square foot home, we were paying about $1,500 for interior paint and $1,500 for exterior paint. So I started to put all these numbers together and I came up with a price list and I worked with my contract and said, look, this is what we're going to pay you. We're going to start paying you per, per square foot for the house. So if the house is 1500 square feet, this is what you're going to get paid you know, if you put in this much laminate wood flooring, this is what you're going to get paid. And they all agreed to it. It all made sense to them. And it's really saved them a lot of time. It saved us a lot of time. We only get one bid from now on from our main contractor. We don't even have to have him bid the project before he starts. He can get started, get things going. He sends us the bid because we already know what's going to look like. My assistant, who has never done project management or construction in her life, can simply use the checklist. Say, okay, here's how big the house is. Here's how much they're putting of this, this, this. Check, check, check. Looks good, looks good. She gets them paid. 
and we're off to the races. He just gave us a full-on seminar there in 10 minutes. That was amazing. <laughs> and Sorry, I'm trying, trying to get through it quick. No, so that's great. And I'm glad you covered everything with the contractors there, too, because that's the biggest problem, I think, with guys is the change orders and, you know, the upsells from the contractor. And that's where the investor gets burned in the end. So, I mean, that's a ton of great yeah. uh, strategy you just gave us there. I look at it as a partnership, right? Like, mm -hmm. they need to, we need to be on the same page. Like, if they want my business, I will give them all the business they can get, but don't, Tick me off. Don't don't try to increase your prices. Don't be dishonest or you're done. Right. And we'll move on. So. So from there, I started doing direct marketing on my own for looking for my own deal, direct marketing, direct to seller. And I got to close a few deals here in California. But then through that whole process, I, I ran across a guy in uh, in Chicago who had a bunch of property, had a huge portfolio, and he's offering seller financing on those. And I got picked up 35 of those with a buddy. And so we had 35 properties with almost 100% seller financing. And that's how I got kind of into the buy and hold game. That's kind of how I got into the long distance game. And it just kind of opened my eyes to like, wow, I don't have to live in my own backyard to make, or I don't have to invest in my own backyard to, to make this work. So I just saw, you know, unlimited possibility because in Southern California, I mean, your median blue household price in a blue collar neighborhood is going to be at that time was like four fifty, four seventy five, and I found out in in Illinois the part that we were investing, I could buy six homes for that, and they had all cash, and they had cash flow at a double digit return. So I was like, wow, okay, there's a whole new world out here. And so I picked up a property, um, a buddy that that's actually the same buddy got three properties under contract in Memphis, and he only had enough money to close on two. So he wholesaled one to me, and I ended up with a 14-unit building in Memphis. And then it was when I went down there to, to get started on the rehab and meet my team, I looked around, and there were just single-family houses everywhere, and they were giving the, darn near the same ROI as that, that multifamily property was. And I just came back, and I had told everybody what I had saw, and people gave me money to go out there and do it for them. And that started my turnkey real estate investing operation, and the demand grew to where I couldn't find enough properties in Memphis, so we expanded over to St. Louis. And then the demand grew to where we didn't have enough properties between those two cities to supply the demand. And then we moved into Cleveland and then to Kansas City and then to Cincinnati and then to Indianapolis and then, you know, just one city at a time. And here we are in 10 markets across the country. And I still live in Los Angeles. That's nuts. Talk about taking massive action there. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of just one step at a time and the demand revealed itself. So I decided to become the supply of that demand. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I looked like I was pretty darn smart, but at the time I had no idea what I was doing is that the door would open and I'd walk through it. And it just, I happened to keep walking through the right door. Uh, nice though. I like that we're on this right now. And, uh, I'm on the other end of it where I supply properties to a lot of West coast investors, but I think a lot of people are scared to tap into other markets because they don't have feet on the ground. Can you share a couple of your strategies you use to make sure, you know, everything's flowing right and you're not being taken advantage of? Sure. Um, yeah, one of the worst pieces of advice is, you'll hear this all over the place, at least you hear it a lot here in Los Angeles, is if you can't walk to your investment, you shouldn't invest in it. And I think that's terrible advice, especially <laughs> if you don't live in a market that has investment-grade real estate that produces a, you know, a sensible return for you. But what we're really not talking about is long-distance investing. That's not the issue. Nobody ever lost money because of the distance between their primary residence and their investment. They really lose money because they lose control. 
and they lose control in two specific places. They lose control with their rehab, and they lose control with their property management. So if you can have a good relationship and good control with your contractor and a good relationship and control with your property manager, it's actually really tough to lose money in real estate. And I know that catches a lot of people off guard, and they're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that sounds crazy. Real estate is risky. But no, if, if you eliminate you know, the, the property management issues and the contractor issues, you know, you eliminate most of the risk, most of the downside of real estate. So that's our first focus when we go into a new market. Even if all the economic indicators match up and are in alignment and said, hey, the thumbs up, this is a great market, a great economy, there's all kinds of jobs, the government is well involved in the community, uh, the population is growing, like all the basic things, if we don't have a relationship there, we don't go into that market because that's everything for us. So if we can have that relationship, that's the first step. And then as soon as we find that relationship, we go in and we look for a second one. So we eliminate our single points of failure. So in every market, we have at least two contractors. We have at least two property managers. And uh, we do it that way to where, and we make sure, and we don't keep any secrets. They both know about each other. And it kind of has this little inherent um, sense of competition, I guess, without really saying it. And what that does, it's funny what competition does. It it happens to increase the performance and it happens to, to reduce expenses. And now we've gotten to a point where, you know, I've got over almost 300 units of my own rental property spread out in these 10 markets. And then I've got about another 600 that I help my clients with. So we represent a significant portion of each one of our team's business that if we were to say, hey, we're going somewhere else, that would be an, that would have cause an actual impact or a, a devastate, not maybe not devastating, but they'd certainly feel the blow to their business if we left. So it happens because we've been able to build that, it, uh, it, it gets us favorable treatment, preferential treatment, and it gets the same for our clients as well. So that's a, a fortunate place we've been able to, to uh, position ourselves in, but it didn't happen overnight. That took a long time. And we worked with a lot of bad contractors before we found the good ones, and we worked with even worse property managers before we found the good ones. But uh, we're, we're in a good place right now. This last year has been amazing. Can you share with us a couple of your top marketing strategies you use to bring in buyers? Okay, sure. To bring in buyers, I'll tell you what, I, you know, going back to what I was saying that we did with our partnership last year and why we were able to slam out so many deals, we were bringing together buyers and, uh, and wholesalers, right? Well, um, what I was able to do was get a lot of foreign buyers that were coming to town here. And the, the, one of the, and we did that a few different ways, but one of the, the best ways that I was able to figure out uh, was, you know, anybody listening is probably familiar with the like yellow letter campaigns to sellers, right? Where you say, hey, you know, my name's Brad. I want to buy your house. Um, I, I thought, well, heck, if that works on sellers, it, it probably will work on buyers, right? So I ended up uh, jumping into the tax records and finding uh, which you know, whether it was an LLC or an S Corp or whatever, was buying these properties in, in you know, uh, D plus to maybe B minus areas that were clearly buying them as rental property and buying more than one at, at any given time. Um, and I would write them a letter. I'd say, dear, you know, managing partner of one, two, three LLC, <laughs> my name's Brad Weber. And I, I, I'd say this literally, I'd write it on my, uh, yellow letters, same fashion as my seller yellow letters. Uh, my name's Brad Weber and I desperately need to sell my rental property. If you're a serious investor, call this number right away. 
And honestly, man, we got a boatload of people calling us saying, hey, what do you got? <laughs> you know, and I'm glad, glad you shared that because that is an old strategy there and nobody does it. Right, right. Well, so, and I'll tell you what, speaking of that too, man, you know, this is not a hard, it's not um, rocket science. You know what I mean? This is, you, you do the right things, you do them consistently, you do them day in and day out and stuff's going to happen. There's just, there's no way around it. It's a numbers game. And uh, so that's what we were, I mean, at, at the peak uh, with my last partnership, we were sending probably 25 or 2,800 yellow letters to sellers every month. We actually had, uh, we hired a stay-at-home mom and she would just sit there and write yellow letters all day long uh, for us. But I gave her the template, I gave her the list of addresses, she would just do it. Uh, and then, you know, I, at the same time, you know, when I, when I needed more buyers, I had too many sellers, I'd have her write yellow letters to buyers. And, and you know, we were just able to kind of uh, do both at the same time. It's like, you know, and everybody always asks me about that. What, you know, what's the, what's the best strategy? You know, sh- what do you do when you have a house and no buyer? Or what do you do when you've got a buyer and no house? Well, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Just, it, it's not, it's not the chicken and the egg. It's not whichever one comes first. It's you've got, you're in the game now, whether you've got a buyer or a seller, figure it out. If you, if you need a seller, go get one, you know, write write letters to as many people as you possibly can in the demographic that you know you need to hit. Uh, and if you need a buyer, vice versa. So, I mean, that, that's the simplest strategy that I could share for free with anybody. No, that's great. And I actually have a two-part follow-up to that then. Were you going old school on that and just going on the uh, county uh, auditor site and writing down each one manually? Or were you buying these lists? No. Well, you know what? I, I know there's a ton of good resources out there for people to buy lists. Um I had the advantage of, you know, already being licensed as an agent. I had access to the, you know, real estate agent tax, uh, whatever database. And I was able to pull the same information that you can get from these places where you pay for it from, from that database, just because I'm licensed. So for me, uh, you know, it was a cost savings thing, but it's not, it's not all that expensive to just go out and buy the same list that I was getting for free. Um, and that's it. I was pulling them from the tax tax data. Okay. And then as far as finding your sellers, um, to mail the yellow letters, were you, how were you, uh, generating those leads? So that's where the fun part came in. Um, I, I was able, you know, you, you've, that's where you've got to be creative. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends across the country that, you know, I would, I would brainstorm with, uh, you know, we, a lot of us started at the same time, which is really interesting, but we'd brainstorm ideas. And, and when you're talking about sellers, number one, you got to know what is being sold, right? You got to know what your buyers want. So, you know, I knew right off the rip from my first couple of deals, okay, there are people out there that want a high ROI, low cost to get in deal, right? So I knew I could go for that and get it sold to somebody, but sometimes I ran out of buyers. So not everybody's buying every month. Um, so I would search for areas that I knew would be a high ROI, low cost purchase area, number one. Uh, but then, you know, the creativity comes into play when you've got to figure, how do you know, uh, if there's any meat on the on the bone, right? How do you know if there's any equity in the property that, that you're approaching? Because you don't want to spend time or pay somebody to spend time uh, running, uh, writing these letters and 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 mailing these letters and you know paying for stamps and envelopes and paper and pens and uh, all this stuff when you might be sending it to a dud house, right? So you've got to try and make sure that it's as accurate as you c- can possibly get it. So um, I would search for different demographics. I would search for people that. You know, you know, lived in a C-class area, single family house. Um, last mortgage they pulled on the property was maybe 2003. Uh, they purchased the house prior to 2000. Uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of meat on the bone. Um, you know, no more than two owners on record, uh, stuff like that. So that, I, you know, I, I, I can hope that there's some meat on the bone and I'm not just wasting a letter going out. So that, that's the idea there. 
Can you share with us what your top free real estate marketing tip would be? Top free marketing tip. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. Uh, let's see. <sighs> I got a couple. So one of them that I like a lot, the idea of, and I haven't done this at all. So that's why I'm not going to say this is my top, but I'm going to say this because I know people have done this and it's awesome. I just only recently learned about it. (laughs) The idea of going to your county administrative office or courthouse, getting the eviction records, and then contacting all the landlords that are evicting tenants and keep a list of the people that are doing evictions. It's it's powerful for a couple of reasons. One, it's free because eviction records are public record. Uh, Two, I've been through evictions. I know that they are terrible, like stressful and irritating and you're angry and you're mad and you just can't understand why this tenant's such a jerk and they're causing you all these problems. So if you can go to them and give them a call and be like, Hey, uh, you know, investor, John, I'm, I'm new to investing. I'm looking to buy property in this area. And I was just wondering if you have anything you're interested in selling. I saw you were going through an eviction. So I thought you'd be a guy to talk to. I mean, like maybe they'll want to sell that property directly. Maybe they'll have another one. Maybe they want to get out of the business completely and they'll sell you their entire portfolio portfolio. You never know. Uh, I love that strategy, but again, I haven't done that one, so I can't completely say it works, but I know people who use it. Uh, But my favorite, honestly, is like the driving for dollars thing. I mean, there are so many houses available that are just like, I don't know, on the side of the road that nobody deals with. They're not for sale. Nobody's putting up an ad on Craigslist, something like that. They're just sitting there on the on the road and you drive by them, write down the address, go home, look up the owner, give them a call or send them a letter. And there's a very good chance that you can buy that property because the person's probably motivated. I mean, it might take you a hundred tries to get one, but how long does it just take to make a hundred phone calls or drive by a hundred properties? Right. I mean, it, yeah, if you want it bad enough, I mean, that's a really inexpensive way. Throw your kids in the back, put on a Barney video or something and, <laughs> and just drive for a couple hours a night. Awesome. Now, when you're doing uh, direct mailing to these people, are you using other services too? Are you doing like uh, the click to mail for your paid marketing or? So I don't do a lot of direct mail. I mean, the only direct mail I've ever done has been like handwritten letter, like send out. I know a lot of people do a lot of direct mail. I just kind of like I don't know. I want to get into it, but I don't want those leads necessarily because I don't want single family houses anymore. And so once I figured figured out how direct mail works, uh, like a couple of years ago, I like got into direct mail and I love the concept of it. I started thinking, well, I don't want single family houses anymore. So maybe I can direct mail for apartment owners, which doesn't work quite the same way because they're not as motivated. The letters are a little more uh, professional. Uh, that said, you still get the list from the same place. I'd still go to like um, list source to get the list. You can find the property owners of of multifamily properties. Uh, and then just, I send, you know, when I send a letter, I like to send letters, uh, with like a picture of me and my wife on it. So like, I have like a letter with like the bottom, there's a picture of me and my wife and it's just like a nice, Hey, we're looking to buy, you know, this property. I like this neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, I tend to think that that works really well. I actually submit that letter with every offer that I submit to anybody, whether it's a bank repo or somebody down the street selling their house, any offer I submit a letter with a picture of my wife and I, because I think it just works so well. So anyway, I'm not the world's best direct marketer just because I, I don't know, I, I got into it too late apparently, but. No, that's a great strategy there because usually everybody's on the hardcore, you know, let's negotiate and hammer this out and you're giving a warm welcome here. Let me uh, buy your property. Yeah, I, I like the, because uh, in my theory is, I mean, my theory is this, that people, no matter what they are, a bank or whatever, they, everybody has a person that makes a decision and that person is a person, right? Like they want to sell, they don't want to sell to some faceless investor who's trying to rip them off or get an amazing deal. I mean, mine's like, Hey, I'm a young guy, me and my cute wife over here looking to make our way in the world. You know, like people love that story and they mm-hmm. love, 
Yeah. I mean, play that up. If you're young and investing or you're trying to get investing, don't think of that as a disadvantage. That is your greatest advantage is being anything under the age of like 50. Like that's such a powerful asset to have uh, because I mean, people like to help younger people achieve things. And so I, I, I use that all day long. It's a great strategy. And that is the first time I've ever heard that too. So I will start implementing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And then for all the newbies out there, what is a uh, what was the tip you could give them so they can get started investing in real estate right now? Sure. So I'll, I'll leave it a couple a couple things. First of all, there's something that inside of a person they have to turn a switch on, and and here's what I like what I mean by that. So. I mean, I want to, I said this earlier, right? I want to buy more larger multifamilies. I want to buy, you know, a 50 unit, a hundred unit, 200 unit properties. However, I know for a fact that I have not switched that in my head yet. I've not turned on that switch. So notice even when I talk about it, I say, I want to, uh, I, I look at it. I have not yet said I'm doing this. Like I, I am investing in this. I'm going to right now. Um, so I think the very, very, very first step is to turn that switch on. You've got to turn that switch on. And I, I don't know the best way to do it. I think podcasts are perhaps the best way to you know, convince yourself to turn that switch on just because listening to people who are doing it helps you flip that switch. So that's the first thing is flip that switch in your head that yes, I'm going to do this, not I want to do this. Uh, secondly, get educated as much as possible. And you don't need to pay, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars for some education. Just go to the library and get some books and just read and read and read or watch uh, YouTube videos or listen to podcasts or whatever, just fill yourself with as much general information as you can. And as you start to get interested in certain topics, focus in on those. That way you don't need to know everything about everything. You need to know a lot about one thing. And so as you learn what your interests are, get more and more focused. And the more you learn, the easier it's going to become just to pull a trigger and jump in to buy something. Hey, Brandon, you dropped a wealth of knowledge on us today. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I'm happy to. Where can the listeners connect with you at? I'm going to say just on biggerpockets.com is probably the best way. I'm I'm there every single day, all day long, pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm always around. It's on my phone continually. So <laughs> when you're scouting your deals, what are uh, some tips you could throw somebody out there that's just getting started? How can they negotiate these deals and not be so attached to it that they overpay? Because I see this all the time and that's how people get burned. You got to stick to your numbers. Know what you want to make on the back end. Know what your investors are looking for, um, what their net ROIs are. And if you can keep in those numbers, you'll do all right. And just make sure that your rehab costs are accurate. That's it. You got to be disciplined. That's right. Don't let the market fool you. There's always another deal right around the corner. Yes, there is. So true. Do you use uh, any spreadsheets when you're going through these properties? Or with your level of experience, are you just looking and you know exactly what it is? Yeah, when I started out, I used to write it all down, estimating costs of what everything was. But now, you know, I can pretty much know what it costs. I mean, I have a rehab crew that handles all that. So I can get it pretty close. So when you're close. a pro like you, you just walk in and you know this is a $5,000 rehab. Let's do it. That's right. Right on. But the newbie, you would uh, would you suggest that? No. <laughs> I suggest you get a get someone to take you through it and give you an estimate. Get a contractor or call somebody to come through the property with you. And get their opinion on what things are going to cost and how it's going to break down and how long it's going to take. And you work your numbers from there. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that there because I've been preaching that a lot lately that people, if you're new to the markets, you have to get an inspector. And you and I both know that there's so many people entering our market just listening to some slick talkers out there, not inspecting the property, and they're just they're getting taken for a ride and losing tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so I can't stress that enough. Always get an inspector in there or at least a certified contractor to get you something to work with on your numbers. Exactly. Yeah, when you're just starting out, you don't want to step out on the wrong foot and not make the deal you were looking for. Right, give up on your first try there. That's right. I went out there and I did a lot of research on first figuring out who are who is a motivated seller. And there's all kinds of philosophies and strategies around this. And I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that mine is the right one. I think it, the most important thing is to get out there and start doing something because once you start doing it, that's when you're going to get all your learnings and you're going to figure this thing out. But you have to be committed to starting it and then seeing it through and pivoting along the way as you go. In my case, I decided that I wanted to target the inheritance list. These are people who went into probate recently and inherited a property. Now, it could mean that the deed just transferred from a husband to a wife, or it could mean that a son or daughter just inherited a property from their parents who had passed and they want to sell it. But the reason why I chose the inheritance list is because there's an actionable event that happened in someone's life that would potentially make them motivated. Whereas you could go out and buy a list of out-of-state absentee owners, but there's nothing really signifying that they are motivated. There's no action that you can see or know about that would indicate to you that, that hey, they're out-of-state and they're interested in selling, unlike you know the inheritance list. Um, so that's why I chose the inheritance list. So I went through, um, I went through a company called U.S., I believe it's usleadlist.com. There's a uh, gentleman over there by the name of Lance. And I bought three months worth of inheritance lists for Cuyahoga County in Cleveland, which is the county that Cleveland is located in. And I also paid him to uh, write out all my yellow letters and stuff them in envelopes and stick stamps on them. And then he shipped them to me. It was about 1,200 of them. He shipped them to my residence here in LA. And for the last month or so, I've been uh, putting about 50 of those pre-addressed stamped envelopes in the mail. And I'm driving those letters to a voicemail. And the letter, people get hung up on the letters. You'll see this a lot online. People go, what, do, what should I have in my letter? Or what type of letter should I say? Look, guys, go out there and just do a yellow letter. I'll just tell you. Go do a yellow letter, and it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter a whole lot what you put in it. But there's just you want to make it simple, and you want to get straight to the point. Hello, you know Connor family. My name is Josh McGinnis, and I'm interested in buying your house at one two three Main Street, all cash. Please call me at, and then a local telephone number. Thanks. And that's basically all my letter says. I even have little small grammar issues in there to make it look more realistic. So that local number, it just goes to a voicemail. A lot of people use Google Talk. I use a company called Ring Central. And uh, in the voicemail, when they call that voicemail, it's very, very personal. It says, hi, this is Josh. If this is about a house, leave me a message and I'll call you back. That's it. Uh, they'll leave a message and you'll get some people who uh, 
take the time out of your day to kindly yell at you and say, I don't appreciate you sending me this letter. I'm not interested in selling my house. And then you'll get other people who are like, hey, Josh, I just got your letter. Uh, give me a call back. And so the name of the game here is you just call, you call all of them back, you track all of your leads, and you stay on top of them. They're going to give you some information about their house. You're looking for motivation there. You're trying to, you're trying to assess, are these people really motivated? What's their motivating factor? Are they just kind of feeling the waters? You're going to get some calls from people who are just curious about the process and like, who are you? And the postmark says LA and are you in California? You know, you, you got to weed those people out. Um, but in the midst of all of those, there are some, there's some gold. You're kind of gold mining in the midst of all those, you know, I've sent out so far about a thousand letters. I've got about 40 calls, which is not a, not an amazing response rate, but it doesn't matter because the strategy is you got to keep mailing them. It takes anywhere from five to eight contacts before most people will do business with you. So fortunes in the follow-up. Now, you were just down in Orlando at the Equity Trust Convention. Will you tell everybody what Equity Trust is first? Equity Trust is a, a, a custodian company where it allows you to take your IRA or 401k and uh, lets you self-direct it and invest into your own stocks or real estate or hard money lending. Um, they have a seminar every year uh, down in Florida. Uh, it's called the Creating Wealth Seminar, and it allows uh, different uh, Equity Trust customers to kind of look at alternative investments, uh, look different investments around the country that they may want to invest into. But it's an excellent, excellent place to get a lot of people with uh, money that they're willing to lend into into one room. And how many people actually showed up for this? There was probably five, six hundred. All right. So you get down to the, the equity trust convention and five to six hundred people in there have money and they're ready to make deals. What do you do? Do you explode as soon as you walk in the room with happiness or how do we approach this? Well, it's like it's like anything. You can't be shy. You've got to you've got to work the room and talk to everybody and try to make sure everybody lands uh, uh, with a card. And of course, you always want to be ethical and honest and tell it like it is. And uh, people respect that and they, 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 they love to hear it. Of course, you got always got to know know what you're talking about as well. Now, were you able to make some good connections there? I did. I met uh, quite a few. I've got a few people actually flying in from all over the country uh, in the next uh, few weeks here to um, check out the Cleveland market and see, uh, see if it might be a right fit for them. That's very cool. And they, how were they to approach with all these people in the room where, you know, were people rough on you or were they open to hear you out? Well, like anything, when you get a few personalities together, they're all different. So you just have to approach everybody a little different. Everybody, uh, some are nicer than others, of course, but you've got to, got to work with what, what you get. So when the first guy or gal shoots you down, do you uh, drop your head or do you just go right onto the next with a smile and, uh, going to attack? It doesn't matter how many no's you get. Somebody's going to say yes. Well said. That's exactly what I was looking for. So what was your mission at Equity Trust there? What were you looking to do? The, the biggest thing is the hard money lending business uh, is taking off for me uh, faster than we expected. Uh, we've got more people that want to borrow than we have money to lend. So the main goal down there was to raise capital to bring back to Cleveland to, to loan, loan back out. So that was the plan and you pitched that to everybody and that went well, apparently. I think it did. Uh, we just got back about a week ago, so um, no, uh, no money in the bank yet, but... Uh, I'm pretty confident within the next few weeks uh, it will pay off. Excellent. So for people entering the Cleveland market and they want to do business with you, they want to borrow money or buy flips from you, where is the best place they can find you at? Well, anybody can always call or text on my cell phone, uh, 216-780-0413. 
or my email, which is dandantherealestateman at gmail.com. All right, Dan, that was great. I appreciate you coming in today and sharing all your uh, information about hard money and how to get started. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, you heard it here first. Dan said no matter how many no's you get, somebody will say yes, and you keep asking till you get yes. So if you want to succeed, have that mindset, and you'll get it. So we're out here scouting deals. We're doing follow-ups. We're capturing leads. What's the next step as far as marketing it to the buyers now? Okay, so it's all about presentation. You know, it's all about presentation. People will call and and just give you a name and an address and want you to do a drive-by and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't really do that, man. We like to try to present a picture. You know, so typically what we do is we do marketing and we market pictures of the property. And then um, we let people look at those when they contact us. And if they say, well, you know, uh, show me the house. I'm interested. Then I don't show properties. Typically, I'll send a video. And I'll say, okay, well, take a look at this video. It's a virtual walkthrough. You can look at it at your own leisure and then give me a call back if you're still interested. And then that way they can see a walkthrough. And then if they want to see the property from that point, then at that point in time, we'll set up something where they can go actually see the property because now we're basically ready to put ink to paper because you've seen pictures, you've seen the video, you've got a breakdown of everything. Now you want to just go confirm this is the same house that that I've been showing you the whole time. Everybody has to listen to that because I'm a cash buyer. The reason I do business with Roosevelt is because I don't leave my house just about an address and a price. Roosevelt sends me all the paperwork. He sends me a video. He sends me pictures. He sends me more information than I can handle. And once I absorb all that, I'm like, all right, this is a deal. And on the wholesaler side, you just work once. Nobody wants to keep driving to the house to show potential buyers this address and this number that you present to them. So Roosevelt puts in all the work up front. He presents me with all of his hard work, and based on that, I say, this is a great deal. Meet me here at this time, and if it's a deal from that point, we sign the paperwork and get it to the title company, and that's how both of us are making our money right now. And and you know what, Mike? I try to, like... um, some of my students, like, you just don't never know. Like, you'll go to a house and they'll think, okay, well, this house, this is, isn't going to be deal, a deal. So they go to the house, they don't take pictures, they don't take a video, and then a month later, or two or three weeks later, the seller has a change of heart, and now they want to put the property in the contract, so they call me and say, hey, man, I got a good deal, let's partner on it, I need some help with it. And the first thing I say, okay, send me the pictures. Oh, uh, I ain't take any pictures. Okay, well, send me the video. Oh, I, I ain't take a video. Okay, so when you go there, you know, try to match maximize your time because I, I personally don't have time to be going to the same house three, four, five times to do the same thing right. over and over again, you know? So it, when I go to the property, I tell my sellers, I say, hey, I'm going to take a bunch of pictures. I'm going to walk through here. I'm going to do a video and then I'm gone, you know? So I'm at the house probably, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. I try not to inconvenience them too much. Um, and when I'm there, I take a gang of pictures, you know, and I shoot the video and, and, and then that way, if later we're able to come to a deal, I have everything ready for my marketing, then I could just put it all together and start marketing it out to my potential buyers. That's a great point there, too, because just because it doesn't look like a deal, you're already there. At least take the pictures while you're there and keep the information on file, because when it does turn into a deal on the follow-up, you don't have to make that extra trip. You're ready to market right there. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, it's just... You, you will find... I'm learning, and I've learned over the years that, you know... 
people will have you wasting your time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and particularly these people who, who say they wholesalers and they just say, oh, just drive by. I don't just drive by houses, you know, and then buyers will say that too, or, or sellers rather. They'll say, hey, uh, I'm selling my house, you know, just drive by it. I don't just drive by houses, you know. I need to, I, I do all my research before I even leave my office. I know who the owner is. I know what the taxes are. I know the taxes says value. I done did my, my research up front before I ever go look at a house because if, if, if I go look at it and realize that she says she owned it free and clear, but she has a $50,000 lien on the property that hasn't been released, I'm not going to look at it. Right. <laughs> you know? And then you yep. call her and you say, well, there's a $50,000 lien on it. She's like, oh, 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 really? You found that, uh, huh? Yeah, you found it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I thought that, you know. Yeah. And so you say, well, you know what? If you can get that released or you get that removed, because I know, uh, unless, you know, you can bring 40000 to closing because I can't pay you more than 10000 for the house or whatever, whatever the numbers are, but it saves a lot of valuable time if you kind of do a little bit of research up front you know to, to weed out some of the time wasters and then when you go look at the properties take pictures do videos you know and, and, and try to develop a system where you gather all of this stuff up so that you can you know um, make the most use of your time yeah, that's a perfect point because, uh, you know, as a wholesaler, you don't want to be doing extra work. You want to be scouting new deals. So if you're there, take all the information and it's done. You got it in the file. You could always fall back on it. And cash buyers, we do not respond well to addresses and uh, price tags because it means nothing. You know, you got to send some value with it before we'll leave our houses because we're busy too. And nothing's worse than spending the day in your car driving around looking at potential deals that are all dogs. It just leaves everybody aggravated and you end up on the do not answer list. Exactly. Oh, I think I told you about that. Oh, Oh, yeah, I think we all have that filed in our phone. And for those of you that don't know what the do not answer list, Roosevelt, go ahead and share your copy of it. <laughs> okay. So so people, everybody want to be wholesalers and everybody want to do real estate. And, and for people who know absolutely nothing, I do like a one-hour consultation where I talk to them. I give them the basics, the fundamentals. I send them a seller script and I send them training on how to fill, fill it out and how to do basic research just so we speak in the same language, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, one guy called, and and, and uh, he didn't know anything, and I was trying to, you know, convince him to at least take the hour consulting. He didn't want to do that. And so he sent me some pictures, and, you know, he didn't know what pictures to take, you know. And then uh, several months later, I seen him at a network meeting where the guy kept calling me, let me just say that, and I put him on my do not answer list. So basically, if somebody keeps calling me and wasting my time, whatever their name is, I just change it to do not answer. So when the phone rings, it just say do not answer, and I just don't answer it right so we were at the uh at the meeting and he said everybody was talking about oh yeah rose do this and rose do that he's like oh rose yeah man he was like uh i've been trying to call you with all these deals man and uh y- you haven't responded and i told him i said that's because you're on my do not answer list yep and everybody has that now too even Emmerich, who's been in the studio i know he files people <laughs> on the do not answer list i do it and it's just because time is valuable and if you're running us around and not producing any quality deals and sometimes deals you know it just doesn't work out and that's fine But if you're consistently sending garbage, you will end up on the do not answer list. And that's why we're doing this. We want to help you avoid... Uh, you know, sending these dud deals out and just not delivering enough value for people. Absolutely, because real investors, they don't have time to waste. Like, you know, I've bought properties. I wholesale and I've bought properties from wholesalers. And when I was rehabbing houses, I just did not have time to go look at all of these houses. You know, right. I, I, I tell my coaching students, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a princess. Mm-hmm. You know, so I kiss frogs every day, you know. <laughs> but when you when you got two or three rehabs, 
going on. You don't have time for that, you know? Right. So it's valuable for somebody else to put the marketing in, to put the research in, to do all the calling, to do all the screening, to, to go through all of these 10 or 20 deals and people to find the, the, the diamond in the rough. That's valuable to me. Oh, yeah. You know? And if I tell you that this is what I'm looking for, and if you bring me that, I'll buy it. But don't bring me what I'm not requesting, you know? Mm-hmm. If I only want West Side, don't bring me East Side. Right. If I only want singles, don't bring me two families. You know, you have to be respectful of what the investor is telling you they want and bring them what they want. That is a great, great point there. Thanks for bringing that up. Can you walk us through some of your first investments and how you got through them? Yeah, uh, the first one, uh, very first one was a subject to deal. So I went out there and and when I found this out, I was like, I can't believe this is this actually worked. Uh, you can, uh, we just took over the payments uh, from someone who had a mortgage uh, or a property that was vacant. She was using it as a rental property. And, and it was, here's the funniest part. <laughs> she, uh, herself, the, the, the owner was in foreclosure and I, here I am squatting in bank on property. So I make an offer to someone who's in foreclosure or pre foreclosure, I should say, saying that, Hey, how about I take over the payments on that mortgage for you? You want to talk about, uh, mind altering, <laughs> but that's exactly what we did. And then we just, we found the tenant, we found the contractor to rehab it. We just set out to find all the people. One of the greatest gifts that I think I was given was I am mechanically disinclined. I I have trouble with staplers. So I knew from the beginning, if I was going to make this real estate thing work, I needed, bar none, I had no choice but to find other people to do certain tasks. I knew that from the beginning. So I was never under any delusion that I was going to collect my own rent, rehab my own building, find my own. I was never under any delusion that I had to do that. I just knew that I I had to put the deal together and find the people who could do all the other the intricate parts and make it work. And that's what we did. And I relied on them and and it, it all came together. And that's still kind of what we do today. Oh, that's huge right there. Cause a lot of people, I think they have the mindset of I'm going to do everything myself and keep all the money and it just burns them out. And, uh, you took it from a different perspective and actually built the business on your very first deal just by not knowing and saying, Hey, I have to put these systems in place and build this here. Yeah. I, I was, like I said, it was, a, I don't know if it was a gift or a curse or whatever, <laughs> but it was, it was the only way I knew it was going to happen. I knew if it depended upon me to learn how to hold a hammer correctly or drive a nail or figure out a caulking gun or versus a staple gun, it wasn't going to happen. It, it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and I needed people who knew how to do it. They're everywhere. I mean, people know what's in Home Depot. I don't need to know. There are other people who need to know that. That's that's what's important. So you screened them out. You put the right people in place. You flipped your first deal. Where did we go from there? Well, here's the crazy thing. I'm standing. I remember closing on that deal, holding the deed going, do they know that I'm in like I'm I'm squatting in bank owned property? And it didn't matter because, I mean, you got to understand there's so many paradigm shifts that are happening on that day because we've all been told you we all know why we can't why something won't work. Everybody is quick to expound upon their knowledge about you can't do that and here's why it won't work and this is what I know. You don't know Jack unless you actually tried it and it didn't work, period. Right. Experiment. Go figure it out. And after that, I was open for anything. So I was like, well, if that's not true, what about this next thing? And so three weeks later, uh, we ended up doing 11 more transactions. And that's literally what happened. It was like, wow, okay, let's do that again. And 
that's what just started happening. I just started uh, doing wholesaling over and over and over again. We did a few hundred of those until I realized one day, hey, I'm selling these houses. I get paid once, but the people keeping them, hmm, (laughs) maybe there's something to that idea. So we had to figure out, we had to change your game up a little bit and, and figure out how to keep some and sell some and keep some and sell some. And now today, primarily, we keep most of what we what we go out there to to go buy and we syndicate the capital and let investors participate that way. A friend of mine came to me. He said, I want to start investing in rental properties with you. And we were tossing some ideas back and forth how to structure it. And, uh, you know, we weren't taking any action. It was just an idea. Finally, he comes to me one day and says, Mike, we're going to start this business. I'm going to bring $50,000 to the table. I was like, okay, you have my attention. So... With $50,000, we started a business buying cash flow properties. That was it. That was what the 50 grand was for. And we bought a duplex and two single family homes. Now, what was cool with this, the $50,000 we borrowed, or he actually borrowed and brought to the table, our debt service on that is going to be $1,000 a month. That's our principal and interest, and it's going to be paid off in under five years. The gross income from these properties is $2,300 a month. So right off the bat, we have $1,300 in gross or in net income. Now let's take off taxes and things like that. So let's just call it $900 in net income right off the bat. So that gives each of us $450. The purpose of us starting this company was to continually reinvest all profits at all times because we're both 35 years old. And we said, you know what? Let's make this company as big as we can by borrowing as much money as we can. And when we're 40 years old, we'll liquidate the whole thing and walk away. So with that $50,000, we had the three properties. And after our debt service, taxes, and insurance, we have roughly $900 a month in net income already. So that's going into the pot and getting ready to buy more properties. But here's what I did last week. We found two more properties and I brought in my private lenders on this. So we found a duplex and a single family in Cleveland. And we bought the duplex for $9,000 and the single family for $7,000. What I did is I went to my private lender and I said, I want to borrow $20,000 on each one of these properties. And this is going to be for the purchase and for the rehab. So what my partner and I decided to do was let's take this $40,000. We're going to spend $16,000 of it buying these two properties which gives us over $20,000 minus closing costs left over. Let's put in sweat equity on this deal. Let's go ahead. We'll get dirty on it, which I don't recommend doing all the time. But by doing that, we were able to keep majority of that extra $20,000. Now, we all know private money is a little more expensive. So the debt service on this deal is $1,300 per month for 48 months, and then we own it free and clear. The gross income from those properties is $1,700 right now. We already have them rented. And so after taxes and insurance, it's really kind of a break-even deal. Not a whole, you know, big grand scheme of things there. But we have $20,000 in cash left over from doing the sweat equity on these. So with that $20,000, what if we go in and we buy another duplex and another single family with that $20,000 that has no liens attached to it? And we reinvest in those two properties that will boost our income up to an additional $1,700 plus the $900 in net income, which takes us to what? $2,600 right off the bat. So we got $2,500, $2,600, and we own seven houses, two of which of these houses have no liens on them. So the possibilities are endless with that. What if we decide to flip those two houses? 
that we went ahead and rented out for that positive cash flow, but we turned around and sold each of them for $25,000 apiece. That gives us fifty grand free and clear technically because there's no liens attached to it. And then we'll go in and reinvest that in more properties. Now, the idea of this is to buy as many as we can within this partnership. And we want to grow the company and pay off our debt services to the uh, lenders within 48 months. Now, Jason and I both have access to a lot of private money because we built the relationships over time. So what if we repeat this process and build our portfolio out to 42 houses in a fairly short amount of time? all taking out 48-month loans with our private lenders, paying them back principal and interest. Now, the debt service on this, on 42 houses, what if we, you know, making the minimum payments on that, it should generate $15,000 in net income, and that's with the debt in place. So after all of our debt service is paid, the taxes are paid, 42 houses should bring us fifteen grand per month. That's $7,500 apiece. You know, that's financial freedom right there. That's when you can quit your job. You don't need a boss anymore. And really, 42 houses is very doable at this point. And it all starts with the first deal, with your first private lender, doing them right, and they will continue to come back. And not only do they come back to you, they're going to tell their friends about you. They're going to come and fund your deals. So building good ethics in your business, treating your private lenders right, you will have access to millions of dollars like we do right now. And remember, I'm in Cleveland. I don't need millions of dollars. I wouldn't know what to do with a million dollars invested in one shot. You know, I do little $20,000 deals over and over again. So you don't need a ton of money to make this happen. Now let's stay in for the kicker here. Let's say 48 months, we have 42 houses and we go ahead and pay off all the debt service in 48 months. And this is just before Jason and I turned 40 years old. That'll bring us $33,600 a month in net income. That's over $16,000 a piece. I mean, you could live a pretty amazing life on that. And that's on 48 months. Now, some of you might be listening saying, wow, 48 months is a long time. By guarantee, if you don't do any of this right now and four years goes by, you'd be like, oh my God, why didn't I start back then? Because there's one other thing we have to think about in this, and that is appreciation. Now, we just had the whole speech about don't invest for appreciation, invest for cash flow. But where we are in our current real estate market, everything is going up right now. And I'm willing to bet the house that, you know, the appreciation is going to kick in even in Ohio. And these properties that we're swooping up for under 10,000, they're going to be across the board 40, 50, 60 grand. But let's say they don't go up. And conservatively, let's just figure these 42 properties at, I don't know, let's say 35,000 a piece right now, because we do sell quite a bit of them at that price point. So let's say, you know, they just go up to 35,000 across the board and Jason and I decide to liquidate this whole portfolio when we turn 40. That's going to bring us $1.5 million, 750 grand before taxes for each of us. And this is just one business that I have with one of my partners. You know, we structure these with several different partnerships. And that's why I want you to, you know, grasp today and sink in that you could structure these deals starting with a little $10,000 deal and just by staying focused and reinvesting the profits and showing your private lenders that you know what you're doing, the world of you know private money and private lending is going to open up to you and you'll be able to do bigger deals. You'll be able to borrow more money and create this huge cash flow empire within 48 months. You could walk away and sit back and say, I did it. I have cash flow for life. I'm set. So one partnership using none of our own money, a little bit of sweat equity, and some serious focus 
I mean, really, that will create a kick-ass lifestyle for you, you know, in under 40 years. And that's, for us, we won't even be 40 years old when we liquidate this one partnership. So that's what the takeaway for today. Get really focused on your goals. If you need a mastermind to keep you accountable, like I did, I'm guilty of it. I'm all over the place. You know, I'm sure you hear it when you listen to my show here. I bounce from thing to thing. So if you need a mastermind group to keep you focused on your goals, you know, dial in exactly what you want. Go ahead and sign up for one. Find your accountability group. Find your private lenders and figure out what area of real estate you really want to invest in and then start taking action immediately. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening in today. For more tips on real estate investing and creating streams of passive income, stop by michaelalder.com or connect with me on Twitter at michaelalder34 or you can find me on Facebook. All right, everybody. Thanks and let's take action today. 